Good morning and welcome back to Midway. We're so thankful you're here today. We appreciate you planning to be here with us and hope that you'll continue to be here. If we can answer any questions about the Lord's Church or about the Midway congregation, we'd love to sit down with you and study from God's Word and do everything that we can in order to understand more about what God wants us to do from His book. If you have been with us before, you know that this year the study that we're doing has to do with the greatest questions that were ever asked. And of course, on Sunday mornings, we're taking our questions directly from the Word of God. And on Sunday nights, we're taking questions that people have asked through the years, and uh, our congregation here rated some of those, and so we're addressing some of the ones that are most uh, uh, requested. And so tonight, we invite you to be back with us, because there's one that I think a lot of people are interested in, and that's simply this, are there Christians in all churches? And so we'll deal with that question tonight. But this morning, if you have your Bible, you may want to go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew. Now, you may see Mark on the, on the uh, uh, sheet that you have, but I asked Grant to read from the book of Mark uh, because he has, uh, Mark has his uh, uh, writing of the same thing that Matthew says, but we'll be looking more at Matthew this morning. But if you were with us last Sunday morning, you know that we, we dealt with the question uh, about authority. And the question was, as we look at in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, at verse 23, The chief priest and the elders of the people came and said, uh, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And uh, we dealt with that last time, talking about authority. And and when we looked at it, we didn't deal much with what Jesus answered. Um, We did notice from verse 25 that he raised the question uh, in in talking to them. Uh, He talked about from heaven or from men, the the baptism of John. And so we dealt with that, but, but not in great detail. But as we think about the question this morning... Uh, Let's go back to the setting. Let's think about what's going on here with these men that have come to Jesus. Uh, They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to catch him in something that he says so that they will uh, be able to bring charges against him, perhaps even to put him to death, because that's really what they wanted him to do. But Jesus, whenever he was asked a question, you know, these people thought they were smart. They were the smartest among the people. And so whenever they had a question for Jesus, they, they always thought that they had it figured out. But, but Jesus was always one step ahead of them. Uh, you know, when Jesus answered the questions of his critics, he could answer them in, in both a supernatural and an unprecedented way. God was always ahead of, of mankind. He, he is, uh, uh, his ways are so far above our ways that we can't even begin to imagine all of the things that God knows. And, and Jesus was always a step ahead. And so when he answered the questions that, that his critics brought before him, uh, he, he always did it in such a way, not only as to answer them, but as to teach us as well. And so as we look at it this morning, we'll see that develop more. In the book of Matthew chapter 20, verse, uh, 21 and verse 24, the Bible simply says that Jesus answered them and he said, I will ask you one question and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. That, that's his answer. It's a supernatural, unprecedented way of, uh, of talking about it. But, but he asked about the baptism of John. 
Now, Jesus wasn't evading the question that the Jewish leaders had asked him. He, he wasn't seeking to do that in any way or insinuating in any way that he didn't have authority for what he was doing. But you know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was exposing the Jewish leaders' unwillingness to accept the authority that John was operating by and also the authority that Jesus himself was operating by. You see, even if Jesus had answered them point blank and said, I get my authority from my Father, even if he had said that, the Jewish leaders were not willing to accept that. And so Jesus exposes what they're doing in verses 25 through 27 of the book of Matthew, chapter 21. We see what he asked them, John's baptism from heaven or men. And they couldn't answer. They, they said, you know, if we say this, then he's going to say this. And if we say the other, he's going to say, well, what about this? If we say it's from heaven, he's going to say, why didn't you obey it? And if we say it's from men, then we're afraid of the people because they hold John up as a prophet. And so they just didn't have, they couldn't answer it. And finally they said, basically, you know, well, we just can't tell. But I, this morning, as we think about the question that Jesus asked, I, I just want to focus on that this morning. The baptism of John, the idea, the concept of it being from heaven or from men. And I want to put that to every single one of us this morning. And I want us to think about it, I want us to look at it, and I want us to try to understand it better. And I also want us to see how this idea, this, this concept of what John was doing would apply even to you and to me today. And so let's think about it together in the time that we have this morning. Number one, as we think about it, we all under, need to understand that John had a mission from heaven. John's mission that he had been given was given to him from heaven. Now in the book of Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we know why, G, why John came. The Bible says in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. He said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who has spoken of the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. All the way back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, we have the prophecy that's mentioned here in Matthew chapter 3. It's about this one whose name is John. And it's about him coming to make everything ready for the Savior who was to come. Now, if God revealed that back hundreds of years prior to the time, it must have been from God when he came, when John came, when, when he was doing his work. And that's exactly what we would expect to find in the New Testament when we began reading about John and when we began reading about his work and his mission, isn't it? Well, let's think about that for a minute, just to be sure. If we go to the book of Luke, chapter 1, we're going to find the birth of John the Baptist. And it's there that we'll have his own father, Zechariah, making some statements. But it wasn't just a statement that he drew out of the air. It was a statement that he was inspired by God to make. Notice in verse 67 of Luke, chapter 1, the Bible says his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, well, well, Zechariah, what is it that you have to say? What is it that God is revealing to mankind through you? 
In verses 68 and 69, the Bible says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. The Messiah is coming. That's what Zechariah has to say, but he's not finished. If we just drop on down to verses 76 and 77, we get to the relevant point for our lesson this morning. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 76, the Bible says, And you, child, Zechariah is talking about his own son, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. You see, even even John's own father, by inspiration, said, John, you are the man. You have a mission. Not just a mission that I'm giving you, not just something that you will think up on your own, but a mission that has been given to you from heaven. A mission that has been given to you by God. And so as we look at it, we think about it, uh, we see the prophecies that are made in passages such as Malachi chapter 3 at verse number 1, along with the one in the book of Isaiah. And we know that, that uh, uh, everything that's said in regard to John is the fulfillment of those prophecies. And so it's no wonder then when we read from the book of John chapter 1, At verse number 6, we read that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Indeed, the mission, the mission that John had came from heaven. It came from God Himself to make known that the Savior, the Messiah, was, was present. He was coming. And so John had that mission from heaven. But again, we go back to what Jesus said in the baptism of John. Well, what about that baptism? I want us to understand this morning that John's baptism was from heaven as well. Just as his mission was from heaven, his baptism was from heaven. In the book of Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And just as the people came, many of those who were the Jewish people who came from Jerusalem and the area there around where John was preaching, just as those numerous people came, there was another who came to him to be baptized by him. And I think it's there that we can can get a glimpse into the idea that his baptism is indeed from heaven. That there is no question that it is indeed from heaven. In the book of Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 through 17, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself came from Galilee to the Jordan to John and was baptized by him. Now all of us remember that if we've studied the Bible very much. We know that story But we also know that there's more to that story, don't we? We remember the rest of it. And what is the rest of it? Well, we know John didn't want to do it, but Jesus convinced him to do it. And yet there's even more to the story than than that part. What is is the the ultimate conclusion of what happens here? Well, we'll go on down to verse 16 of that passage. And the Bible says... And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, 
the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming down to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know, if the baptism of John was not from God, if it wasn't from heaven, then how could God have been pleased when Jesus was baptized by John? And yet we know that God from heaven makes it known to everyone who was there that he was pleased. The voice thundered, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God gave his endorsement to the very baptism that Jesus had just undergone by saying he was pleased with what he had done. He was pleased with what John had done for him. And so the endorsement, the baptism, is indeed from heaven. In essence, the voice says John's baptism is from heaven and not men. And so that, that my friends, is the answer that, that Jesus was seeking from the, from the Jewish leaders. But you know there's more there than just that. That's the basic story as we see it. Uh, we know that John's mission was from heaven. I probably didn't have to do much convincing to this good group this morning to, to help you understand that his mission was from heaven. Probably didn't have to do much convincing this morning to, to help us understand that his baptism was from heaven. But, but I want to spend just a little bit more time talking about the baptism of John. And, and I want to see how uh, there are some things that, that are said in relation to that are applicable to you and me even today. Well, what is it? When we think about John's baptism, the Bible teaches us very clearly that John's baptism brought forgiveness. But let's look at this baptism and let's analyze it and let's break it down just a little bit. Number one, as we think about John's baptism this morning, let's understand that John's baptism was an immersion in water. An immersion in water. You know, most folks, when they use the word baptize, they don't realize that they're saying a, a Greek word with an English flair. They've just taken the O off of the end of the word and put an E on it. We've made an English word out of it. And the word that is what's called transliterated means literally to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. To dip, to plunge, that's the definition of the word that is used. Now, it was transliterated because those in... Um, uh, the Church of England, when the Bible was first translated into English, they were practicing uh, some things that just didn't agree with this immersion. They were sprinkling babies. And so you don't offend the king, who is the head of the, book, uh, the, the Church of England, by translating it immersion when it is sprinkling that he has said is good, and that's what they were doing. But as we try to understand that this morning... We need to remember some things about the baptism of John. Do you remember where John was baptizing? According to the book of John, chapter 3, at verse 23, the Bible says that he was baptizing at Enon near Salem. Now, there's a specific reason that's given by God in the Scriptures as to why John was baptizing where he was baptizing, at Enon near, near Salem. That passage says that he was baptizing at Enon near Salem because water was plentiful there 
and people were coming and being baptized. All of the country, according to Mark chapter 1 at verse 5 that we read just a little while ago, was coming out there to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, let's take this one step farther this morning. I want you to know something that I did before I came to church today. Y'all want to know what I did before I came? Uh, Build a little suspense? Well, I formed a bow in the strings of my shoes before I came to church this morning. You did what? I formed a bow in the strings of my shoes before I came to church this morning. Preacher, you've lost your mind. Well, what if I said it this? I tied my shoes before I came to church this morning. What does it mean to tie your shoes? Well, if you look up the word, the definition of the word is to form a bow in the string. Now, why, preacher, you've lost, what I'm saying is simply this. Sometimes, you know what? We can substitute the definition of a word for the word itself, and we won't do any, I mean, we'll get the same result. So, let's talk about this idea of immersion. What were these people doing according to the book of Mark chapter 1 at verse 5? They were coming out to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. Suppose I said the word that's translated baptized meant sprinkle. And so I substituted that definition sprinkle for baptize. Would it work? They were going out to him and were being sprinkled by him into the river Jordan. Huh. Can you imagine John sprinkling those people into the river? Or or maybe they poured them. Maybe I say the word means to take some water and pour it over the head of someone. Sometimes you'll see pictures representing baptism in that way. Uh, Were these people, according to Mark chapter 1 at verse 5, going out and being poured by him into the Jordan River? I mean, can you imagine John picking them up in some kind of basket and dumping them out into the river? Well, that one don't really make difference, make, make sense either. Well, what if I say it means to dip? They were going out to him and were being dipped by him in or into the River Jordan. Does that make sense? Sure. To dip into. Suppose I say plunge. They were being plunged by him into, in or into, the river Jordan. Does that make sense? Yes. Much more sense than him sprinkling them into the river. Does it make sense for them to go out to him and being immersed by him in or into the river Jordan? And the answer to that is yes, to all three of those definitions that are given to the word baptized, to dip, to plunge, or to immerse, they all three work. And yet others simply do not. John's baptism was an immersion in water. Uh, Add to that what is said in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens were being torn apart. 
Uh, he came up out of the water. John was baptizing because there was much water where he was baptizing. Uh, we've substituted the definition, and it really makes sense to dip, to plunge, to immerse. And we know that when Jesus came up, he came up out of the water. Everything points to the fact that John's baptism was an immersion. Not only that, but when we think about John's baptism, we need to remember that John's baptism was preceded by faith in Christ. You say, well, preacher, I didn't see anything where John said that, but the Bible tells us that. Notice, if you will, in the book of Acts chapter 19 at verse number 4, what the Apostle Paul said about John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. Now it makes sense. We see John in John chapter number 1, as he points to Jesus, as Jesus passes by, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Everywhere he went, he was telling people not about himself. He kept saying, I'm not the one. There's one coming after me. I'm not even worth untying his shoes, taking that bow out of the strings. There's one coming after me. It's that one that you're to believe in. And so Paul helps us to make sense of the fact that that when John was baptizing, Paul just puts it all together. When John was baptizing, he was baptizing folks, not because they had faith in John, but because they had faith in Christ, the one who was to come after him. But not only that, as we think about John's baptism, John's baptism was preceded by repentance, right? Isn't that what we've read a couple of times already this morning from the book of Mark, chapter 1, at verse number 4? That, he's coming, uh, that He has come and that He is preaching a baptism for, of repentance. A baptism of repentance. What about Luke chapter 3, verses 7 and 8? The Bible says there, He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by Him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Watch this in verse number 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You know what John said? Before you can be baptized, you've got to change your life. You've got to change your mind, which results in the change of life. You've got to repent. You've got to turn from the old ways and turn to the new ways. You've got to turn from your, your, your sin and turn toward and ter, turn to God. And so John's baptism was preceded by repentance as well. Uh, but you know, we're not through yet either. We also need to remember that John's baptism involved confession. It involved confession. Notice in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, at verse number 6, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their, in this case, their sins. There's a sense in which you and I confess our sins because without 
understanding that we are in sin and needing out of sin, then we'll never become obedient to our Lord. And so in a sense, we confess that we have sinned and we are sinners in need of salvation. And we know, and we'll talk about this more in just a second, there's more to our confession than just confessing sins, but we know also that John's baptism also involved a confession, at least the confessing of the sins that they had in their life. But then finally as well, John's baptism offered forgiveness of sins. You know, that's hard for me sometimes to get my mind around, but, but I understand what the Bible says, and I know what the Bible says. Maybe you have some hard times with that as well. We know that John, or rather Mark chapter 1 at verse 4, talks about John's baptism and a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You know, here's what we need to look at. When the people did what John preached, they became a prepared people. They were prepared for the coming of the kingdom which John was preaching. And they were ready because they were prepared to be placed into that kingdom when it indeed arrived. In the book of Luke chapter 1 verse 17, you may want to make note of this passage. Luke chapter 1 verse 17 says, talking about John, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Not only did John prepare the way for the Lord, he prepared the people for the Lord. Uh, Specifically stated... To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The word prepared means to prepare thoroughly, to build, construct. It's used a couple of other times at least in the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 7, it's talked uh, used in uh, regard to what Noah did. The Bible says, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He constructed the ark. When Noah constructed the ark, what did he do? Well, he built the ark so that it would hold him and his, uh, his seven relatives and two of every kind of animal except the clean animals, and there were seven in each of those. Uh, and it was able to withstand the storm when he built it the way that God told him to do. He constructed that ark. But you know what? In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, at verse 20, still talking about Noah, the Bible says, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. To prepare thoroughly. It wasn't until the ark was constructed, until it was prepared thoroughly, completed, that God caused the rain to begin and the fountains of the deep to break open. That's the same word that is used in regard to what John was doing for the people. He was preparing for the Lord a people. 
And when the Lord came and when His kingdom came, these prepared people were prepared to be a part of it. And then again, we need to remember what Mark chapter 1 at verse 4 says. He brought a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And when we examine what is said in the book of Acts chapter 2 at verse 38, we understand the construction is the same. Whatever it was that Peter told the people on the day of Pentecost to do, the construction was the same. The baptism to repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, the construction is the same. These people were prepared to be a part. Now we all understand that it wasn't until the shedding of Christ's blood that forgiveness actually was made possible. But these people had done everything that they needed to do, instructed by God through John for them to do in order to be a part of the kingdom. And you know there's only one example of anyone ever having been baptized with John's baptism who was Shall we just simply say rebaptized for the sake of uh, saying it this morning? And that's found in the book of Acts chapter 19 where we have 12 men who evidently had been baptized after John's uh, baptism had become ineffective, after the kingdom had come, after the day of Pentecost. And they needed to be baptized for the remission of their sins, not because John uh, wasn't effective when, when he was preaching on his mission from God, but because now the one about whom he preached had arrived. And there's no other evidence anywhere in Scripture indicating that anyone who was correctly baptized during the time of John ever was baptized or needed to be baptized again. Since they had done what John told them to do from God who had sent him to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. But what about today? What about you and me today? I want us to understand in the four or five minutes that we have left, just like in John's day, God's plan of salvation consists of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Here's some passages, Matthew chapter 28, verses, uh, verse number 19. Go therefore, this is Jesus speaking, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself made it clear people are to be baptized in order to be his disciple. Paul, uh, Peter rather preached it on the day of Pentecost. The people wanted to know because... They had heard of Jesus. They had crucified Jesus. They were cut to the heart. They cried out, men and brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. No wonder then Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3, at verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, talking about the salvation that Noah and his family received through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible very clearly teaches us, just these three passages we've noted already, teach us that we are to be baptized. But 
Let's think about that baptism very quickly again. Do you remember what we said about John's baptism? That it was preceded by faith in Christ? Well, what about this one? What about the baptism with which you and I are to be baptized? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Our baptism, just like the baptism that John preached, is preceded by faith in Christ. Somebody says, well, I understand about the, uh, the, the baptism, you know, the, the faith part, but don't understand about the baptism because the Bible doesn't say here about baptism that, that, that whoever's not baptized is going to be condemned. It just says whoever doesn't believe. Well, he doesn't have to because faith precedes baptism. And if we don't have faith, guess what? We're condemned already. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John chapter 3, verse 18. Faith precedes baptism. I am big enough that I could take some of you and I could put you in the baptistry. Physically, dunk you under the water and bring you up out of it. But if you don't have faith in Christ, all both of us did was get wet and become enemies. Right? Faith precedes baptism. But you know what? It's also preceded by repentance, is it not? What we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The Bible said... Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. In the book of Acts chapter 3 at verse 19, Peter would also say, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance, just like in the days of John, preceded the baptism. Our life, our heart, our mind must be changed. We repent. Not only that, it also involves a confession Look at Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth confession is made and is saved. Good friends, we need to make our great confession, if you will. There, there were some people in Jesus' day who believed in Him. But they wouldn't confess Him. Did you note in the book of uh, John chapter 12, verse 42, what John tells us? Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. In our Bible class downstairs this morning, we were talking about the discipleship that Jesus demands that we put Him first, even above our family members, those that are nearest and dearest to us. But these people were allowing the authorities, the, the Pharisees rather, to take precedent over Jesus. They listened to them rather than listen to Jesus. They believed in Him but wouldn't confess Him. The Bible says, if we confess Christ before men, He will confess us before His Father. 
who is in heaven, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. If we deny him before men, he will deny us before his Father, who is in heaven, Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. And so, our baptism is preceded by confession. Now let's bring it to a close because our time is up. Let me ask you this morning, what happened to those who rejected John's baptism? What happened to those who rejected the baptism of John? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us to wonder. It tells us, Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30. The Bible says, When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. You know, when, just to make a long story short, those who refused the baptism of John rejected the purpose of God for themselves. What was God's purpose? Uh, we could probably answer that in even asking the mission that Jesus came on. What was it? Luke chapter 19, verse 10, to seek and to save the lost. But these people rejected the purpose of God for themselves. What was the purpose? To save them. And when they rejected the purpose of God, what were they rejecting? Well, they rejected God, yes, but they also rejected the salvation that He offered. And good friends, if those who refused to be baptized with John's baptism were rejecting the purpose of God for themselves, then how much more so are those who refuse to be baptized in the name of His Son, by the authority of His Son, how much more are they rejecting God? From heaven or from men? You know, when we talk about baptism today, so many people say that what we teach here in the Lord's church to be baptized in order to have forgiveness of our sins, they say, well, that just came from, that's just what you believe. That's just what you said. Folks, we showed this morning, not only from John and his baptism, that it came from God, but also exactly how you and I today are taught to be saved by God's Word how it matched what God was accomplishing and preparing His people through John. And if we reject that today, we're rejecting His Son. The only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to God except through Him. You can't reject Him and get there. It may be this morning 
that you are coming to realize that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. It may be that you don't fully understand that and you'd like to study more. We'd love to study with you. It may be that you do understand what you need to do and you want to be baptized. We want to help you. We want to assist you with that if that's your need this morning. It may be that in the past you've become a Christian by putting on your Lord in baptism and, and you yourself have strayed away and you need to come back. The Lord's invitation is open to you. If you need to respond to it, why don't you do it right now?